All right. Well, searching this week for like the perfect illustration to introduce not just today's sermon, but the series of sermons that we're going to begin today and for the next few weeks, I came across this headline. It says this, man lives in a tree after fight with his wife 50 years ago. So it, it turns out that, that Gadahar Parita of India, who is now 83 years old, has spent the last 50 years of his life living in a treehouse. He has reportedly turned down pleas from his wife and from his children to return home. Uh, Parita's wife said, we quarreled over a tiny issue, and that is why he left me, and he promised not to live with me until he returns home until his death. I don't know how that's going to happen, but he says, I'm not coming home until I die. He, she said, his wife, I have tried a lot of different things, and I have tried to force him to come back, but he has refused every time. Now, Parita's strange home is a, a makeshift shed on a tree located about a half a mile from his actual house, which he pays for. But this is not his first makeshift home. No. For many years, Perita lived in a mango tree, but was forced to move to a new tree after his old tree collapsed in a storm. You'd think that would have been a sign, but it wasn't. So instead, Perita, he just, he just backed up a truck and he moved his tree house to a new tree. Now, one might wonder, at least I wonder, right, what in the world does Perita hope to accomplish by living in a treehouse for 50 years. And luckily, the reporter who was writing this story, he was wondering the same thing. And when asked what the point of all this was, Perita claimed, get this, he says this, the unusual lifestyle has helped in my spiritual growth. Right? That's the re- he says, it's helped in my spiritual growth. Well, that is certainly one way to grow, uh, but I don't think I would recommend it, Foundry Church. All right, you guys, right? I mean, it was just Valentine's Day this week. Don't do this. It seems like a, a lot of work to build an entire treehouse, and then uh, who is going uh, to, like, make you dinner and do your laundry and all that kind of stuff, right? It just doesn't seem like it's benefit. I'm kidding. There's a lot of reasons, Foundry Church, not to move into a treehouse after a fight with your spouse. And on top of that, if we're being honest, uh, the top of that list is probably living in a treehouse away from your family, away from all responsibility, is not a beneficial way to grow spiritually. As a church, we spent the last six weeks talking about how we measure our growth as Christians. How, How we measure our growth as Christians and the tools that we use to measure that growth. We developed what we called an exonometer, and that's a tool that measures growth in plants, and we developed our own exonometer. Our exonometer, do you remember what it is? It's the word forged, and how 
when these are the things that we do to get forged, right? We broke that down with, with forging a lifelong reliance on God looks like. This is, this is a disciple who makes disciples, and that is what we are, a disciple who makes disciples. So if we're doing that, we're living a forged life. Let's see how we did. I already gave you the answers, right? So forged, right? We're we're focused on God's kingdom. We're, we're owning our spiritual growth. We talk about how we're responsible for inviting others and that we're growing as leaders. We're following that we need to be, that we need to embrace Christian community. And then last week, we talked about how developing a servant's heart is a part of that. That's a disciple who makes disciples. And we even have an exonometer for our foundry kids downstairs. It's the, the word kids. And so you parents, I challenge you when you pick up your kids today... Right, they've been talking about this the last few weeks to spur them on as they work on the, the kids' exonometer, their exonometer. So, so here's the thing with growth, with growing. It doesn't happen automatically, does it? I didn't just wake up one day with this awesome beard and these dashingly good looks <laughs> and like, boom, like here, here I am, Right? No, it took me some time to get this good-looking and to have this beard. Becoming forged is the same way. It is a process, Foundry Church. It is, it is something we must learn and practice and forge. You see what I did there, right? All right becoming forged reminds me of a woman who was a part of a church I ministered at in southern Virginia. Her name was Lynn. Lynn Carr, and she suffered from severe hearing loss her whole life. And while we were there, she was given the opportunity to receive a cochlear implant. And we were all super excited for her, and we couldn't wait to see her face And when she started hearing fully for the first time. But, but here's the thing that none of us knew about hearing. Learning to hear takes time. So after Lynn's surgery, she could hear. Right? Her, her hearing was restored, but was she hearing well? Not exactly. She was in our, our small group, and I remember talking to her about this, this painful process. She could definitely hear sounds for the first time, but she said she had to learn what each new sound actually, what it meant. What was it? She would ask, is that the door closing? Right? Is that the sound of the microwave? She realized for the first time that her light switch in her bedroom kind of hummed a little bit when she turned it on. It, it was a process, and it was work for Lynn. Sometimes she would just turn off the implant. She had a little switch, which I thought was cool. <laughs> she used it on her husband. Um, <laughs> she would just turn off the, uh, the implants as she was uh, kind of tired of, of trying to figure out all of the new noises and what they meant. But day by day, each day, she would turn them on again, and she would work at it a little bit more each time. Right? Day by day, she was making progress, growing inch by inch, sound by sound. And that is the goal, right? Isn't that the goal, right? right? Each day, growing little by little, taking the next right step. Look, it's like this. It's like moving up and to the right. It's like moving up 
and to the right. Up and to the right is actually the name of the series of sermons that we're going to be talking about here for the next few weeks. Right? It's going to help us as we develop ourselves and we, we want that goal of being forged and help others to be forged. Because imagine what it would look like if we are forged. Imagine what it would look like if our communities are forged. Right? Imagine if, if all of us in this room right here right now, uh, before anything else, good, bad, or the ugly, right? and it's usually a good thing, but before anything else, we're focused on God's kingdom. Think about what, what would that look like? And what if, if, if all of us in this room and then eventually in our communities, before anything else, right, we were realizing that, hey, we have to own our spiritual growth, right? That we're responsible. God has given us, for whatever reason, me and you, the responsibility of inviting others into the kingdom of God. What if we were all growing as leaders who were worth following? Imagine what that would do to our, our workplaces, to our communities, to our families. If we were embracing Christian community, helping each other step up to the table, right? Calling each other and supporting each other when it's hard, but when it's also necessary. What if we were developing a servant's heart? What would our world look like? Right? And so that's our goal. And so to, in order to achieve that goal, we're working toward it. We're, we're growing toward it and taking more steps up and to the right. right. And we need some tools to do that. Right? We, we need some help. We need some tools. A while ago, I was, I was writing a sermon, and I yelled at Christina a question about spelling, which usually happens like 100 times per message. <laughs> And Christina, she minored in English. She's the smartest person I know. It's sickening, right? And so her answer, her answer was this. You might be familiar with this. Her answer was this. It was, well, the rule is I before E, except after C, or when sounding like A as in neighbor and way unless you're trying to spell the word weird because weird is spelled weird and doesn't follow the rule now i remember being when she told me that i remember being physically angry <laughs> when she said this right I, my office is right out this door right across the hallway and, and during the week christina she works for her brother-in-law but she works here at the church because if she works at home she doesn't get anything done and so she sits right, right there, right, right behind Dohi. She puts a little table right there, plugs in her computer, her little phone. And, and so I yelled across the hallway, and I remember just being physically upset that I stormed through that door. <laughs> right? I stormed through that door. I was so mad. And, and I, I wasn't mad because, because she didn't tell me the answer to my spelling question. Right? And I was a little mad about that. Right? But because I didn't know that trick. I had never heard that before. I'm 35 years old. I never heard that before because I, I wasn't taught phonics like she was taught phonics. Right? I, I didn't know all these tricks, and she has them for math too. It's sickening. Right? I was never taught any spelling rules. I didn't know any of these things that she was telling me, and I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense. That would have been helpful to know. Right? I was angry. I was taught how to sight read. That's it. So I'm out in my own world of reading, just trying to figure out everything on my own. I didn't have the proper tools. 
And so that is what we're going to spend the next couple of weeks doing. Phonics, if you will. Tools, right? Not phonics, all right? We're going to talk about some tools of the trade. If you'll use them, they're going to help you grow. And that's why I think this is such a great series to invite your friends to because they might be thinking, you know what? I really want to step into Christianity. I want to figure out who Jesus is. But they may just not know the, the tool, the step, or, or that there is a resource, like a trick, right? And listen, they might get mad at you like, why didn't anyone ever tell me like I was mad at Christina, right? But that's what we want to step into the next few weeks. These things are sometimes called spiritual disciplines. Have you heard that? All right, and before you get scared about the word discipline, I just want to define it. All right, discipline is this. Discipline is the willingly, willing acceptance of defined activity amid growth. All right, aimed at growth, I'm sorry. Listen, I was talking in the morning here during our huddle. Our volunteers get together and we pray. We pray over each of the seats. And I said it was funny because I, I checked this morning. There's a book on the bookshelf out there at the resource center called The Celebration of Discipline. And I looked on my phone. I bought, what did I say? I bought eight copies of that book in 2018. Six copies of that book in 2018. Six copies of that book. There were four there this morning. <laughs> All right? It's the only book on the bookshelf that we don't replace like every couple months. It's the only one. I bought six in 2018, and there's four still there. And I'm willing to bet my mom has one, maybe two of them. All right? All right? She loves a free book. All right? And it's the funniest thing because that book is so simple to read. It's like a classic. I think on the cover it says two million sold. But people are we're, we're scared of that word, Discipline. Right? Just like my friend Lynn, she wanted to be good at listening. She had to cultivate the habit of hearing and discerning. And just like learning to read, if you're ta taught the correct way, like Christina and not like me, you gather tools and you practice them over and over and over again. And then you take those tools and you use them on a bigger and more difficult book, on a larger scale and you keep getting better, right? The, the point of discipline is to make the activity, whether it be physical, mental, or spiritual, an ingrained part of your life, a healthy routine, if you will, right? Discipline creates life. If you're a Jocko fan, we talked about him this morning too. I, raise your hand if you know who Jocko is. Does anyone know the reference? On, see, all the men do, right? <laughs> Jocko, Jocko would say what? Discipline equals, life. say it, life. freedom, right? Not, say it. I'm a girl. <laughs> Discipline equals freedom, right? That's his whole tagline, right? Discipline, it builds worlds. Discipline is not a scary thing, but something that should be learned and leaned into wholeheartedly and learned and practiced and, and, and just not something we do once and then are done, and I do, not, I do not say this to say that we have to practice everything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, like every minute of every day, right, at uh, all times, right? Do not make spiritual disciplines into a vain attempt to earn your salvation. 
And I just want to make that caveat because that's not how this works. Right? Spiritual disciplines teach us very clearly that we cannot earn our grace, this eternal life, this free gift of grace. God's love is given freely. It's not how disciplined we are or what we, how we practice. Right? But here's the thing. Jesus says we should not be passive in our response to that love. Are we tracking? Are we getting it? Right? Don't get me wrong. Faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and God's amazing gift of grace is a key component to our Christian life, to our forging and to become forged. But biblically speaking, faithful belief must involve faithful living. We cannot believe something in our hearts, Foundry Church, while living in alternative reality in our daily actions. Right? That is the very definition of hypocrisy and something that the church struggles with. Spiritual disciplines help us experience that gift of grace by calling us to intentionally engage with it to intentionally live in it, to intentionally discipline ourselves to notice that grace all around us. Right, because here's the truth. going to shock some of you. Right? This is, this is a little scary here. Let me make sure my mic's on. <laughs> all right? Because here's the truth. And I'm not a, a doom and gloom kind of pastor, right? But... But this world, this world and Satan are trying with everything they have to keep us from seeing the grace of God in our lives. Right? That, that's, that's the father of lies. That's Satan. He doesn't want us to see the grace of God. Someone is trying to get inside of our head. You think I'm crazy. It's true. Right, just on the surface level, just as an, an illustration, <laughs> I just realized this sounds like I'm saying technology here in a minute is of the devil, but it can be a distraction used by the devil. It's not of the devil, right? Right? A bunch of really smart, dedicated, creative people are trying to get into our heads. They want to capture and steal our attention, even if they have good intentions, even if we have good intentions. In the book, The Attention Merchant, a book by Columbia law professor Tim Wu uh, makes this point and proves this point. Uh, the, the subtitle of the book says it all. He says this in the subtitle. The epic scramble to get inside of our heads. <laughs> right? right? Whether the intentions are good, bad, or, or not, right? That's what Satan tries to do. He's trying to distract us. He's trying to trying to move us off target. Wu argues that every sliver of our attention is fair game for commercial exploitation. Tongue-tied here, right? Every sliver of it. He goes on and says, we are no longer homo sapiens. We have become homo distractus. (laughs) People with an ever shorter attention span known for compulsively checking our devices this is just one illustration we're talking about media technology right he says consider the cell phone since about 2015 we writes wherever you go your smartphone goes with you and of course what goes with you on your smartphone the ads 
We respond to our phones, he says, like English butlers respond to their lord or their lady. Our cell phone buzzes, our news feed fills up, an email comes in, social media dings, and we come running. And we say, what is it, my lord smartphone, my lady email, or social media? That's what we say, I'm the worst, right? I have a phone, I have a MacBook Pro, and I have an iPad, right? It's just the way it is, right? Wu, as far as I know, is not a Christian. He continues, and he says this in the book. He says, our very lives are at stake because when we reach the end of our days, our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to. (laughs) What we've paid attention to, the very last line of the book, Wu argues, we must act to make our attention ours again. To make it our own again and to reclaim ownership of the very experience of living. We must act, church. That's what, that's what I'm saying. We, we must get disciplined, church. Foundry. Right? It says in 1 Peter that Satan is roaming around like a lion seeking to devour. And he can use a lot more than just technology. So we must ask ourselves, the onion that we need to peel is this question. What am I paying attention to? What am I paying attention to? God said the same thing to his people in the book of Exodus. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 14, and you'll see what I mean. Excuse me. If you don't have a Bible, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. They are free for you to use, to take, to have, to give away. Exodus 14 is where we are going to be at today. Genesis, Exodus, in the Old Testament. Exodus 14, the Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They've been freed. And they've been walking through the desert, led by the presence of God in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Like, it overshadows them. We talked about that a little bit, the New Testament parallels of that in our small group this week. In chapter 14, they reach the Red Sea, and they are stuck, right? They, they are stuck, and they are struggling. And they look back, and they realize that Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, has changed his mind. The scoundrel, right? Can't trust him. He's changed his mind, and he wants all of his free labor back. And so the Egyptian army is on their way to bring the Israelites back to Egypt as slaves. So the Israelites did something they did best. This is what they are the best at. They started complaining. Right? They, they started complaining, and they started crying out to God. So let's read this together. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 12 is where we're going to be. Turn there if you have it. 14, 10 through 12. Simply says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is because there are 
are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. <laughs> they, they exaggerate. <laughs> what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Right? Verse, verse 12 simply says this. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Keep your finger right there. So they are, they are crying out. right? They are nervous. They're crying out to God and to Moses. Were the graves in Egypt not good enough? Right, that we have to come out here and be buried, like to die, right? Uh, I mean, talk about being dramatic, right? They sound like my nieces. But before we judge them a little bit too much, how would we react? <laughs> right? I, I would have been the first one to say, well, at least we had an oven, right? At least I could have made something to eat, right? Right? No, right? we can't judge them too hard. How would we have reacted? Right? They're between a rock and a, and a hard place. I mean, let's just think about this, right? The, the Red Sea to one side, and our enemy barreling down on us on the other, and there's nowhere to look. Fear is setting in, and they're thinking, what do we do? Have you ever been there? So much crap. Right, so much stuff going on in our life. Decisions, yeah, they might be good decisions, things that we're happy for, but just stuff, and we're weighed down, and all we see is just a wall, a sea in front of us, an evil pursuing us, that lion, that Satan trying to distract us, and we're just stuck in the middle, and we cry out, what? What do we do? How do I get through this? What is the next step? We've all been there. Have you ever felt like everywhere you turned, there was something trying to get your attention or just something that needed to be addressed? Again, good, bad, or ugly, right? Something calling you into just busyness. Maybe not even that important. We've already said it, right? The world is a noisy place. There are, are words coming from your loved ones. There are words that are just popping up in your smartphone. There are words that are blaring from your car radio. Words spouting from a television newcaster's head. Uh, they're, they're scrolling at the bottom of the screen below it, right? right? I, I always have like a podcast on in the background. There's just words, Right? Every nook and cranny of our life is filled with messages about what we should do, what we should think, what we should be like, right? what we should look like, what we should listen to. In the midst, Foundry Church, of all of this, it can be hard to answer the question, what am I paying attention to? What am I paying attention to? Just like the Israelites, what are they paying attention to? The Red Sea, Pharaoh and his army. It feels like everything's going to crash in on us. So what are we to do? How do we get our focus back? And what do we pay attention to? Well, let's look at what Moses said to the Israelites. Right there where you kept your finger, verses 13 through 14. 
It says, then Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. One of my favorites in scripture. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be what? Silent. You have to be silent. They are crying out to God and to Moses. They're confused. <laughs> Were the graves in Egypt not good enough? Right? They're doing all these things. And this verse teaches us that our first spiritual discipline, our first tool of us who are trying to forge a lifelong reliance on God and guide others through the same so that we're forged, is this stillness and silence. Stillness and silence. Now, I, uh, I made a joke to Christina. I was like, you know, today, I, uh, for today's sermon, I'm just going to get up and say stillness and silence and then sit here for 30 minutes. <laughs> So everyone's, so everyone's head just kind of bowed. <laughs> she said I couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's just circle a few words here for a second in your Bible to break this down. First, in verse 13, circle the word stand firm. Someday, someday, and every, every stand firm in the Bible I have highlighted, and someday I'll put that together in a sermon series because it's so powerful. But your translation may say stand still. Right? It's the same thing. Stand firm, stand still, circle that. God is telling the people through Moses to do what? Cut it out, to stop, right? To, to stop, to pause, to stand still. Quit running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Stop, right? And one of my favorite stories of Christina, it makes me laugh every time, happened a couple of years ago when she was working at George Mason, all right? She was outside with her team. She, she supervised a pretty large team, and she had them all together, and they were having a lunch outside. It was a beautiful spring day. And she's like, let's go outside and have lunch. <laughs> and they're having lunch, and all of a sudden, one of her employees noticed that a bush right out there, this is in the middle, she worked at the Arlington campus. So in the middle of Arlington, if you've ever been down there, a bush was on fire, like completely engulfed in flames, right? And so the team, her team, the amazing people on her team, right, friends that we're still friends with today, they jump into action, right? They, they jump in. One runs inside. They get the security card. They call the, the fire department. One runs over to the fire, and they start pouring water from all their water bottles onto the, the fire. Another couple of them are, like, organizing everybody and getting them away, like, blocking off the sidewalk, getting people away from this, this fire, which is, like, going into other bushes now and, like, trees. <laughs> Everyone's, like kind of starts to get calmed down because the fire department's already there now and they, they start looking around and they're like where's christina where's christina well i'll tell you where christina is right she she's halfway down the block she's running away and when she saw the fire she just started running she just started running she saw those flames and she said nope not today i'm out of here and she left all of her like people to fend for themselves Right, we all know what to do in case of an emergency, don't we? It's a side sermon here. Don't ask Christina for help. <laughs> I'm kidding, right? But the point of the story is that Christina saw the fire and nothing else. Right? She saw the fire and she just nothing else. She was paying attention to the wrong thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's what the Israelites were doing. 
Right? And that's what we have a tendency to do as well. Looking at the things that were going wrong in their mind. They were paying attention to the wrong things. So God tells them, stop. Stop. Stand still. Stand firm. Stop. Right? This is often the, the Lord's direction to us in a time of crisis. Uh, despair will cast you down, keeping you from standing. Fear will tell you to retreat impatience will tell you to do something now to take action now uh, assumption will tell you to jump into the red sea before it is parted yet as god told israel he often tells us to simply be still to stand firm as he reveals his plan right and now here's just a few examples of this in scripture right first samuel chapter 12 verse 16 as the prophet Samuel is giving a farewell address to the Israelites, he says this to them. He says, now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, be angry and do not sin. Right? Don't jump in. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Psalms 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalms chapter first, chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God, he says. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13 says, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. I picture a big old dragon like in the Lord of the Rings, just like getting ready to do something, right? Just be still and see it, right? We could go on and on, but you get the idea here, right? Be still before the Lord, right? Be still. Stop running around. Stop moving to the next thing. Stop doing. Just be still before God. Before refrigerators, I know, hard left turn, right? Before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food ice houses they had these like really thick walls uh, no windows and, and a really tightly fitted door in winter when when streams and lakes were frozen they would go out on the lake and they would cut the ice out in big chunks and they would haul those into the ice houses and they would like like i mean the size of this like piano stand and piano and they would cover that big chunk of ice with sawdust and that thing would last forever for like the year Right? It's like the beginning of the scene of Frozen, right? Everything's just ice. And some of you are looking at me like, how do I know about Frozen? I have nieces, so just let it go. <laughs> right? But, but there is a story about one such ice house and one of its workers. A man, he lost a valuable watch while he was working in this ice house. Sawdust, blocks of ice everywhere, dark. And he searched diligently for it, carefully uh, raking through the sawdust, but he couldn't find it. He told his fellow workers, and they all started getting in there and immediately kind of looking for it, but, but the search just ended in failure. They couldn't find it. And so a small boy who, who learned about the, the search, he slipped into the, the ice house during the, the lunch hour when all the guys were gone, and soon he emerged with the watch. Now, amazed, right, the, the workers, the men, they asked him how he found it, and he said this. He said, I closed the door, this little boy, I closed the door, I laid down in the sawdust, and I just kept very still. 
very silent. So I heard the ticking. There's power in the stillness. There's power in just shutting up. Right? If we would only be still, if we would only stop the hustle and the grind just for a moment. If we're looking, if we would just lay down and be still before God, we might just find what we're looking for. And even more, like that little boy, we might hear what we need to hear. Now, underline the last word there in verse 14, silent. Right? Your, your translation might say, hold your peace. Right? But underline the word silent in verse 14, or hold your peace, if that's what your translation says, which is just the, that's just the Andy Griffith way of saying, please shut up. <laughs> you know, the Andy Griffith, all right. So here is the thing about silence. It comes before hearing. Right? Have you ever been in a fight with the other person with someone and the other person yelled, you're not listening to me. I need you to listen. What are they saying to you in that moment? I need you to shut up. Right? I need you to stop talking so you can hear what I'm saying. I need you to be silent. Right? We cannot hear unless we are silent. Like it says here. Right? The same thing is true when we are, are trying to listen to God. Silence is one of the most powerful expressions of this is found in Psalms uh, 131. And I'm going to read it for you. Turn in your Bibles if you, if you want to. Because uh, this is a weird psalm. This is a weird one. One of those weird ones. There's a lot of them. And you read this and you're like, what in the heck is this guy talking about? This just doesn't make sense. Right? But listen, it's, it's an illustration for this spiritual discipline. So let me, just let me read it to you. And then you kind of picture what's going on here. Psalms 131 says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and I have quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Right? This is a beautiful illustration of, the, of this principle, of this spiritual discipline. Right? The unweaned child has learned that eventually noise leads to satisfaction. Right? It, it gets its desires. Right? The unweaned child knows that if it starts screaming, I'm going to get what I want. Right? The baby. Right? You, you see what I'm, the picture here? Right? Even if it doesn't, the noise itself appears to bring some relief to the baby. Does that make sense? Are we tracking? Or at least if it makes others as miserable as, as the unweaned one itself, all you parents, are, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? right? But the weaned child is different. Right? It has learned that the presence of the mother is about more than the immediate gratis gratification of desire. The, the presence of the mom is more than just, just, just nourishment or just whatever it wants. The weaned child has become capable of stillness. And you moms, you know what I'm talking about. 
right? When that, when that, that first time that little one, that little toddler is still with you. Doesn't want anything. He's just still with you. The weaned child can have a, a whole new form of communication with the mother. The weaned child has entered into a whole new relationship with its mother. Now the mother is more than simply one who exists to satisfy a need to take away hunger. The mother can become a person and not just a need meter. Does that make sense? You, you see, when we are still and, and silent, God becomes more than just a need meter. When we're still and silent, God becomes more than just someone that we go to in times of need. He becomes more than just a faraway being who sometimes gives us what we want. So, so that is what we are pursuing with stillness and quiet and powerful, adventurous, abundant relationship with God. Forged life with God. Now, as the, I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and as they're coming up, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something here, and I'm going to, I'm going to whisper something to Christina. She's singing today, so I'm going to whisper something to her. Do you hear me? You get what I say? Okay. All right. They're coming up. There's, you know, we're coming in and out. Right. Now, I'm, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to whisper something to her here in a minute once we get a little bit of music going. Right? I know, it sets the mood. Right? And so, drop a beat there, Trent. Is that a thing? You don't want him to drop a beat on that. I don't want him to drop a beat. All right? Drop a beat. Did you hear me? Got nothing. How about how about if I come up here and I, I stand? Even even if I tell Trent, I tell Trent, Trent, no more music. Fade her down. Yes. All right. Did you hear me? What did yeah. I say? Can we have tacos for lunch? <laughs> All right. My mom's like, yes. All right. Now, why did you hear me? Why did she hear me? Why, why did she hear me say, I want tacos? Can we have tacos for lunch? You see, what happens is when we stop moving, she stopped moving, I stopped moving, things around us, they were still moving, but we kind of we controlled what we could, right? I could control, can't control Danny, right? <laughs> right? Right? It makes space in our minds and in our world for God to come close, right? To, to, for him to come right up face to face, right? <laughs> and whisper to us, right? You see, God wants to get close. He wants to stand by us. He wants to be this close so we don't miss a single word of his salvation of grace. When we are still and when we are silent, Foundry Church, we can hear the still small voice of God as he draws us close. And we can know the Father, our Father, the God we forge our life on, the author of unending grace, we know him more. And we live an abundant, adventurous life. 
a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of action, a life of peace. You've heard me say it before. Peace is not the absence of chaos. There's always going to be noise. There's always going to be things fighting for our attention. Satan, until Christ comes again, is going to roam around like this sleeky little lion that he is seeking to devour. So, so peace, hearing God, being in this relationship with God is not the absence of that stuff. It's the presence of God. And when we sometimes, we're just quiet. And we're still. We just let God come in. He gives us the word we need. Let's stand. Let's worship him. He calls us to gather at the beginning of every week to worship him. Hear his word. Sing praises to him. Let's thank him for this gift of discipline that he gives us.